0: You're listening to the Fix the Money, Fix the
1: World Show
0: on the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network.
1: Here's your host, Luke Mikich.
0: Hello there, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Now, today I'm introducing an episode I recorded with Daniel Joe from CryptoQuant. There's been a lot of hype recently around the on chain metrics and, in particular, how they look for the up and coming bull market. So I thought, why not get an on chain analyst on the show to help? break down some of those metrics for new people but also we did talk about a bunch of other things we talked about bitcoin and how it fits into the larger traditional finance picture we talked about why every single person needs to own some bitcoin Um, now this one i did record a couple of weeks ago before i merged over here with the uh, bitcoin made simple podcast network with Corey, but I thought it was a good idea to still release it uh, because I'm thinking about maybe doing a monthly Bitcoin and markets update uh, with, with somebody who follows the markets a little bit more closer than Corey and myself do, um, especially with the whole transitory inflation narrative. Um, I thought it'd be a good idea to keep a keep a closer watch on what the markets are doing and all the topics we do discuss in the video, uh, there are timestamps and a lot of the topics we discuss aren't necessarily time sensitive, so I thought It's still a good idea to release uh, this episode over here on the podcasting platform. Um, And for anyone listening in on the podcasting platform, the video footage will be released over on YouTube. We are looking at a bunch of different charts and a bunch of different metrics. Uh, This one's a little bit more of an interactive episode, if you will. So uh, if it's not making all the sense it should, be sure to go and check out the video footage. But I think you guys are going to really enjoy this one. And before we jump in, what we better hear from today's show sponsor who is Coinbeast. Do you guys have questions about Bitcoin? Personalize your learning and book a one-on-one video call with a Bitcoin pro on Coinbeast Connect. You can learn about mining, security, the Lightning Network, DeFi, taxes, and many other topics. It's really easy. Choose your topic and pro, select a date when you're available, and bring your questions to the meeting room. Book your first call today by going to coinbeast.com and clicking on the connect tab. Be prepared for the financial revolution and get the knowledge you need. Uh, Okay, guys. So welcome back to the Fix the Money, Fix the World podcast. Uh, Today, I've got something a little bit different for you guys uh, lined up in store. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about price action for a number of different reasons. One, because I'd love to learn a little bit more about on-chain fundamentals myself. And two, there's a lot of talk about, are we in a bear market? Are we in a bull market? There's a lot of people undecided about whether we're in a bull market or a bear market, and everybody knows I'm a little bit of a perma-bull. Uh, People think I'm a little bit crazy. I think we're going to hit $100 million per Bitcoin this decade, so I'm a little bit biased. So I thought, hey, why not get somebody on the podcast who's a little bit more unbiased than myself? Uh, So today we'll be speaking with the one and the only Daniel Joe. He is um, an on-chain and technical analyst at Lightning Capital, and he's also an author and contributor uh, at CryptoQuant as well we've recently connected on these twitter spaces and uh, he's a little bit of a up-and-coming young gun in the bitcoin space he's a hard-working young lad um, and i've loved everything uh every time we've kind of talked in these twitter spaces i've thought hey i've got to get this guy on the podcast so here he is daniel joe thank you very much for coming on my friend how are you today
1: hey look how's it going
0: yeah yeah i'm good mate i'm good so maybe before we jump on into some of the charts we can start with a little bit of background about yourself and what you're doing before bitcoin and just kind of uh, let the audience know a little bit about yourself
1: yeah um so before bitcoin um just have like traditional background in uh economics finance a little bit of marketing worked at small tech startups worked big corporate everything in between so um just in general i've always been fascinated by how money works you know how uh like the the time value of money um and just you know the how monetary policy and interest rates and just all these things impact the markets and you know i just for me it, the, the big part was um salaries and working a job can no longer get you what you need for your future like a home right and owning assets so you know that really uh, shaped the way I saw money and, and I realized the importance of investing. So that's why it kind of led me on this path towards Bitcoin and investments um, and understanding, you know, kind of fundamentals and of course, technical analysis now on chain. So, uh, you know, I, I never really expected myself to be, to be doing what I'm doing today. But what I do know is that I really, really enjoy what I do. And um, I mean, just, I mean, this year has been just in, like crazy. I, I joined, twitter just a couple months ago and now it's become you know jumping on podcasts and writing analysis every day you know for CryptoQuant and crypto potato and and joining you know uh crypto funds. so it's just i mean things have gone really really fast but you know really really excited to be here and talk about macro on chain tentacles and bitcoin um but yeah that's just a quick summary of kind of my my background yeah Uh, i think you're you're muted luke
0: Sorry, guys, I'm a little bit yep. new to the whole muting, unmuting situation. I was just saying, um, I just made Daniel host. So he's got a, a number of different charts uh, lined up for us today, guys. So I'm really excited to get into those and uh, have a look at um, everything uh, related to on-chain and also a little bit of technical um, analysis as well. Uh, but that's really interesting that you were interested in money um, as, as a youngster or growing up. Like you're still in your 20s. Uh, like myself so he's still a young a, a bit of a spring chicken mate and not, and not a lot of not a lot of kids our age are interested in money or are interested in investing it's um' It's good to see more young people interested um, in money, but not only interested, but then learning about it and then helping educate others. I mean, some of the stuff on uh, your Twitter has been really great, and I was reading some of your articles earlier over on uh, Crypto Potato. I'm not too sure about the the name of that website, but um, it's interesting. But I was looking at your into your articles, and they're really good, dude. I mean, they're really good. You've been nailing it um, recently with the uh, more recent low time frame kind of price action. Um, actually it's probably worth mentioning as well before we jump into start looking at kind of more low time frame price action and charts and that kind of thing, I'd love to get you kind of zoomed out bigger picture view of Bitcoin. Um, like a lot of people say, okay, Bitcoin's digital gold It's going to be worth one or 2 million by the end of the decade. Other people think it's going to be a global reserve currency. So I'd love to kind of add some context and some background for the viewers just to kind of know where you're thinking about it. Like, where you think Bitcoin will be in 2030, 2040. And yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. So looking at Bitcoin from a a zoomed out macro perspective, especially in terms of fundamentals, uh, I'm very, very bullish long-term. So I think, you know, this decade, we're going to be seeing at least a million dollars per Bitcoin. And um, it's just, you know, simply put, it's the best store of value. It's, sound money, right? It's fundamentally better than gold in every aspect. I mean, I'm not going to hear it. I'm not listing every reason, but like I the on cases, but it's just a much better, uh, you know, asset to put your money into than fiat or stocks or even real estate and, and gold and other assets. So um, I think that it's still very early in, the, in global adoption. I mean, we're not even at 2%. Um, and the fact that we have, Companies and countries adding Bitcoin onto their reserves. And, you know, just years ago, people were calling Bitcoin a a Ponzi scheme or a scam, right? I mean, we've come a long way. So I just think that um, this is the decade where we see significant adoption in Bitcoin. And I like to look at it just from a perspective of what is Bitcoin as a perspective or as a percentage of, you know, global assets. So if you look at Kind of the total value of assets around the world including debt we're talking you know 900 trillion dollars and i think this decade i can see definitely one two percent of the global wealth including debt going into bitcoin so that you know that gives us nine to 18 trillion dollars in value so you know that that puts it you know um at a much higher you know much higher price point than this decade so it really makes it look like you know 30 40 50 60k It's just a rounding error when you look at long-term. So yes, I do focus a lot on near-term price action on chain and things like that, but my long-term view is very bullish and I'm really confident. So, you know, I have my huddle position that I will pretty much never sell. I'm, I'm like, I'm giving that to my kids, you know, for family. And I do have like a swing trading position, you know but that's more like swinging the cycles. So, you know, I'm looking out multiple years and decades with this asset. So, so kind of, you know, I guess just the, in terms of strategy, right? Um, because the fundamentals are strengthening and we're seeing bullish trends on chain, um, multi year chart looks really good. Um, you know, when we see these, these dislocations in price where, you know, fundamentals on chains are still strong but the price is falling, when you get that divergence, to me, that, that's a huge buying opportunity um, because there's nothing fundamentally bad happening with Bitcoin itself. It's just the price is falling, so it's more attractive. And given that it's so scarce and that it's incorruptible, right? It's, it's resistant to censorship. Um, you know, it's being embraced by people in the world that are financially oppressed and need it. Like every dip in my opinion is a huge buying opportunity long term, whether it's a bull market or a bear market. So of course, bear market is the best time to buy. But, you know, buying dips during bull markets are also very, very helpful.
0: No, I couldn't agree more, dude. And maybe it's probably a good time to get into get into uh, charts and just while you bring them up. Um, I really like that you mentioned the fact that you've got a HODL portfolio and a HODL stack. That's something else I wanted to mention to people before we started looking at some charts and some lower time frame kind of stuff even the best traders in the world and some of the biggest whale traders um, in the world, they all have a HODL stack in Bitcoin. They all believe that Bitcoin long-term is going to be worth millions and they have 50 to 60 to 70, even 80% of their net worth tied up in Bitcoin in cold storage, off exchanges, offline, holding it for the long-term. And they only trade with what they're willing to lose. Uh, Cause that's something else I really did want to mention for the, for the new people like 95 percent of traders are going to lose money so it's definitely best to just you know dollar cost average have a massive hodl stack and if you are an experienced trader the best traders in the world only trade with five to ten percent you know twenty percent of their net worth at a maximum so i think that was something really good to mention uh something else that i loved was you brought up the fact that uh there's 900 trillion dollars of assets out there and if bitcoin gets just two percent of that that's what 18 trillion dollars coming into bitcoin and we know for every dollar that comes into Bitcoin, you've got to add a something like a 3x multiplier on it. So if you have 18 trillion coming to uh, Bitcoin, ladies and gentlemen, that's let's say it's 20 trillion, that's about the same. And you add a 3x multiplier on that, that's like 60 trillion coming into Bitcoin. So you've got to add 60 trillion to the market cap. And that puts Bitcoin at $3 million a coin if it captures just 2% of the global assets out there. So yeah, it's, uh, she's got a long way to grow, definitely. But um, let's get into some charts,
1: too. Yep. Actually, uh, real quick, I, I want to kind of just give like also more reasoning behind kind of why I really embrace Bitcoin as an asset. So for me, uh, I would say that the two biggest uh, selling points or kind of key takeaways for me is the fact that it's fully decentralized and that this is for the first time in like human history, where we can fully and truly own an asset. And I think that's really powerful because, you know, right now your your car, your stocks, right, your, your brokerage account, your homes, those are all just things tied to a centralized, you know, server or title company. So there's multiple points where it can be compromised. Right. So let's just say you lose access to your, you know, your brokerage account or that title company that, you know, that that owns the title for your home is is gone or compromised you don't have a way to prove your ownership of assets, right? Like your bank account is just a bunch of numbers on a screen, you know, behind a bunch of code in in a bank that can be compromised any day. So let's just say those things happen. You have no ability to prove your ownership of an asset. But with Bitcoin, if you have it properly stored in cold storage, um, you can verify, obviously, through a node that, or on chain, that uh, um, through the blockchain, that it's yours. And it can't get taken away from you. So, I mean, this is, this makes it really powerful because if you can, if you can if you, uh, custody it properly, this could be passed down from generation to generation. You know, so like, this is, this is why, you know, it's superior to fiat, um, gold, right? Equities, real estate, because there's, counterpart, there's counterparty risk across all these assets. And we don't know for sure if these things will be around. Like, I don't, I don't even know if the dollar will be around you know, the next 10, 20 years, because it's like of how horrible the money printing is, right? Or like, um, I don't even know if my brokerage will be around, right? Because 2008 financial crisis, you know, multiple companies, you know, went bankrupt and they got bought out. Um, same thing with banks and, and real estate, like what if there's a war, right? Who is gonna buy your real estate in the middle of a war? No one. And you can't take that with you, just like Michael Saylor said. So when I think about the ability to hold onto an asset, I'm thinking about like how you know how what, like how will it um how can I move it or hold it during times of uncertainty or even extreme conditions right and it really shows that Bitcoin is like you know it's um how do you put this it's the most resilient unconfiscatable the most resilient asset out of everything that we talked about and I think that's really powerful very few people understand that but I think that once the world recognizes what it's capable of doing and what it is. I think you know there there will be significant uh, upside in adoption. So it's just a matter of time, in my in my opinion.
0: No, I couldn't agree more. And I'm really glad you mentioned that. A lot of people say, oh, well, okay, Luke, you crazy Bitcoin maximalist. When Bitcoin hits $100 million a coin and it's appreciating by 5 to 10% per year in purchasing power, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to sell it? Are you going to go buy some shit coins in real estate? Or are you going to go buy some, uh, some bonds? Or are you going to go seek some yield elsewhere? And I'm like, maybe, maybe. Not only does the investment have to outpace Bitcoin's appreciation, but the investment that I'm going to buy with my Bitcoin I can't store it and custody it in the same way that I can custody, custody my Bitcoin. Right now, if somebody rocked up to my house and put a gun to my head and said, hey, Luke, I know you're a public Bitcoiner. Give me a Bitcoin. Guess what I'd say to them? Sorry, mate, I can't sell it. You need to take me to five different locations where I can go and sign a multi-signature transaction. So guess what? You're going to have to take me on a 48-hour road trip, my friend. Let's buckle in and get cozy with each other But because I can't even sell my Bitcoin if I want to. So that's another beautiful thing about Bitcoin that a lot of people overlook. Just the asset and the way you can custody it is honestly beautiful. And I highly recommend everyone go and read the book, uh, The Sovereign Individual, because that just have basing a financial system on a money that's really hard to confiscate and really hard to steal the side effects that's going to have on society is absolutely very underrated in my opinion. Um, it's just gonna, it's going to incentivize everybody to peacefully cooperate. And even the really, some people say there's bad people in society, well, guess what? The bad people know they can't steal anything anymore. So it's it's going to be a very interesting society once we do transition onto a Bitcoin standard. But um, I just wanted to definitely mention that point before we jumped in and started having a look at some charts. Thanks for bringing it up. That's, um, that's, a, that's a point about Bitcoin that is commonly um, overlooked.
1: Yep, agreed. All right, I guess we'll start with just some technicals. Let's do it. All right, cool.
0: Let's see. So Daniel has a treat in store for you guys today. He's got uh, more tabs than I have open on my browser and that's a bit of a rarity. Let me say that. I have tabs coming out of the wazoo.
1: Um, I can see my screen. Yep, I got you. Cool. Yep. So obviously we're seeing near term sign pressure. Um, you know, Bitcoin is currently testing the, the key 50-day and 200 day moving average. So... I would say it's a pretty good entry in terms of technicals. Um, now, the reason why Bitcoin is dropping now is because the futures are dropping overnight right, for the US market. So this is translating into kind of risk-off behavior. Um, but we're not seeing anything major, you know, on-chain developing in terms of sell pressure. So this is more just technical and kind of macro risk-off. Um, but what I really like with the chart is that you know, the, the, the multi-month consolidation between 30 and 40K, breaking the downtrend, right? Having momentum flip bullish. And, you know, of course the Golden Cross, which is not that reliable, but the fact that we've held 30K and we pushed up and we're now, you know, kind of re-entering like a breakout slash uptrend is, is really good to see. Um, and more importantly, you know, the on-chain is there to back up the both thesis very firmly because the overall trend and fundamentals and on-chain is very bullish. So at this point, really, we're just waiting kind of for the macro, near-term macro conditions to kind of finish the correction and for risk on to return to the market and really just to see kind of that technical price action confirmation. So um, near-term, I, I wanna see, you know, Bitcoin hold the tuner day, which is currently at 45.8K. Um, and as we see, since the kind of liquidation wipeout from the El Salvador, you know, day, Um, Price has been making higher highs and higher lows, which which is good to see. Um, The daily chart might not look so good, but I think it's really important to consider what's happening on higher timeframes. So when you look at the three-day chart, um, you notice that price has been finding support on the 21-day EMA and the 21-day, which is the kind of the white and the green line. Um, And if you kind of just zoom out, you can see that there's been a bullish crossover. So the the 21-day is crossing above the 50-day. And that's a pretty good signal um, that right now, the conditions kind of looking out, you know, longer term are really similar to, I would say, like May, April of last year, and also October of last year. Um, and I, so essentially what, what's happening is we're seeing similarities in kind of mid to higher term, you know, bullish momentum. And also the, uh, the hash ribbon indicator, um, which tracks the hash rate has also, you know, crushed bullish. So there's a lot of bullish technical and fundamental kind of indicators flashing. um, And that just signals higher prices in the coming weeks and months. So I want to make it clear that like, just because a bullish signal flashes on the charts, it it doesn't mean that price is going to pump right away. It, it, it kind of takes time, you know, for uh, the price to catch up, you know, to the signal or it's, you know, kind of like, it's a a delayed reaction. Um, But, you know, people tend to freak out over short-term moves, but what they forget is like to zoom out and look at the overall chart. Like the overall chart is still, you know, it's still bullish. I mean, we're not really in a bear market on a technical basis and on the on-chain basis. So what I want to see is I want to see, you know, as once again, we're seeing support hold on the three day, 21 day, which is very good. So we bounce off this level and continue kind of, you know, pushing back into the green zone, which has a lot of, you know, kind of technical on-chain resistance, if we can recapture these levels and retake that 50k level, then that should lead to a solid breakout because we have very bullish on chain tailwinds to support it. So, um, you want to jump on on chain real quick?
0: Yeah, Leah, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm very interested to check out uh, on chain as well for anybody who's new and doesn't understand what uh, kind of macro risk off means at the end um, I might share my screen for a little bit and we'll go through uh, the stock market and maybe have a look at uh, bonds and the dollar index because I have a couple of charts prepared just to show the macro environment um, and why that's adding a little bit of sell pressure to Bitcoin in the very short term. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's very interesting that you mentioned uh, the, the on-chain and the hash ribbons. It's showing very similar behavior to what it was showing last year. Was it around October you mentioned?
1: Yep, in terms of the the technical momentum, yep.
0: Yeah, for anyone who remembers, that was when Bitcoin was just hanging around very quietly. There was a lot of low volatility and we were just hanging around under 10K and we all know what happened uh, when Bitcoin broke through 10K last, was it October or November? We had that rally all the way up to 65K. So it's very interesting that it's showing similar uh, behavior to what it was doing uh, last year in October.
1: Yep, Exactly. So I'll just give you a quick glimpse at my kind of on-chain dashboard. So this is from CryptoQuant. Uh, I just put together um, on their pro chart just indicators and metrics that I like a lot um, to kind of, kind of give you a, a better picture of what's going on overall. So they recently put out um, more UTXO metrics. So this is looking at the age, um, age, age distribution um, of uh, different cohorts. So this is kind of looking at, I would say, like more near term. To up to like twelve months, so like one week up to twelve months. So, um, I also kind of you know put a, put these colored blocks to show where these cohorts you know bought. So every day they keep aging, right? or it keeps shifting to the right. So we have, we have to keep in mind you know what's what's happening with the age. So, but right now it's it's really clear that in the purple, the six to twelve month you know cohort is holding very strong, uh, and you can see that that line rising, um, and we noticed that the, the selling pressure near term really came from that yellow group, the three six month cohort. So they, um, you know, they panic sold, you know, the lows a few months ago, um, and then they also, you know, panic sold this uh, liquidation event right here, as you can see the the drop. Um, and what's really interesting to note, right, is that we need to we need to keep an eye on, on kind of these four groups, especially the the top three, one month to uh, twelve months, because right now the one month cohort is currently aging and they accumulated, you know, mostly in 30, 40 K area and also in the upper forties. So it's it's really good to see that this group is kind of holding and not selling, right? Because there's there, there were a lot of dip buyers in 30, 40 K. And also they're also aging as well into the three to six month cohort. So right now, you know, uh, a big chunk of it is, you know in that 30, 40 K range, but still a lot of them but you know, before that, you know, kind of between 50,000 and 60,000, 64,000. So over time, they will age more into the, you know, 30, 40K zone. And that's really important to watch. So we really need to make sure that this yellow line starts flattening out and starts increasing to show that they're not, you know, that 30, 40K group is not selling. Now, the next chart I like a lot because it, it captures more of the long-term holders. So now we have data, you know, from 12 to 18 months, all the way up to, you know, the beginning of Bitcoin, so 11, you know, plus years. So as you can see, they're they're holding. And yeah, you might see kind of like, you know, down here, the, um, the line drops. That's just simply because it's aging. So more of the coins from the 12 to 18 month cohort, they're aging into the 18 to two year cohort. Um, you can track actual values happening. Um, but overall, the, the trend, right, with the older cohorts is accumulation. As you can see here, it's just flat lending or increasing. And I want to make it clear that, like, um, I, I do expect these cohorts to distribute um, over time because that's, the, that's what they do during bull markets. When the price appreciates rapidly, um, it encourages these older, you know, holders um, to start, you know, taking profit on the way up they're not going to sell all at once. They, cause they know that, you know, it will kill the market almost. So they have to do it slowly. So I do expect, you know, kind of the strong hand, the long-term holders and the large miners to take profit on the way up and it will show on chain, especially when it starts to trend. So right now they're like, they're, they are in firm accumulation mode. So in my opinion, right. Um, like the bear thesis is currently, you know, uh, not correct because they're claiming that this is a bull trap and that, you know, the, the huge whales are going to dump on retail. Well, we're not really seeing that they're, they're actually buying, they're not selling. Um, and same thing with the miners, the the overall trend with miners is still, you know, very bullish net accumulation. So for the bear thesis, in my opinion, to be validated, we need to see a trend in selling from long-term holders, large miners and entities that are holding a lot of the older supply. Um, so it's, you know, it's not really happening right now. Um, Is it possible? Yes, of course, because there's external risks, right? From, you know, global equities having a crash, you know, monetary policy, you know, raising rates, tapering, all that stuff, it's possible. But, you know, these are low probable events in my opinion. Um, And I just wanna like, I guess like zoom out and show you kind of like what happened, you know, during, I guess, uh, previous bull markets, right? So you'll see, you know, during the 17 bull market, you'll see that like, you know, all these older cohorts were distributing throughout the bull market. The lines are turning lower. So it shows that they were selling. Um, And then obviously, you know, during the kind of the the bull trap, you know, they they really, you know, sold aggressively. So like you look at a chart now, they're just holding, the lines are flat or rising. So that's a really good signal. And now we can kind of jump over to miners and see what, you know, what they're doing.
0: Yeah. Great. I got a love on chain. It's very interesting. It's very interesting.
1: Yeah. It, it's incredible because it, it, it tells you if you can pull the right data and look at the HDS and the cohorts, it really tells you what's happening. And, and more importantly, the trend, right? So so every now and then we'll have like these big spikes up or down, like a huge outflow or maybe a huge, huge inflow. And that might be notable, but I, I think it's really important to recognize what is the overall trend on chain, right? Because, you know, one-off events, they don't really dictate a trend. It just kind of, it just happens and then things go back to the trend, right? So when you look, here's the miner chart, right? So it just simply shows the miner reserves, the outflows from the miner wallets to exchanges to sell and the outflow transaction count. So essentially it just kind of showing the activity of miners. And if you look at, you know, just from the beginning of the year here, up, it, you know, it's, it's slowly, slowly trending higher. Um, and that's really good to see because, you know, miners do have to sell eventually to cover costs. Right. But the fact that the reserves are holding and slowly grinding higher, it indicates that they don't have an interest to sell. If you look at the kind of the middle section, the minor outflows, the outflows to exchanges to sell are very, very, very low. Like last year they were selling, you know, 10,000, 10, 20,000 Bitcoin, you know, per day at one point So that, I think the most was like 40,000. That was like kind of like, um, I think earlier. Um, but if you look at the outflows, it's completely flatline. So, and that that's directly correlating with just kind of reserves holding. Right. Um, and I, I find what I found, what's really interesting is that, uh, I look at the data from the 2018 bear market and actually I'll show you right now, the, the mining behavior is completely different. So, Let me pull up the bear market right here, right? Here's the kind of 2017, you know, blow off top parabolic uh, run and then the bear market. So as you can see here, right uh, during the run up, they were already distributing and selling, which is expected. Right. But the bear market is what really, you know, squeezed out the miners. So when price is falling for a long time and seeing a lot of pressure, it squeezes out the miners, and you can see these big drops in the minor reserves in blue, especially here. So that really got them, you know, to like capitulate, right? So the overall trend of minor reserves during bear markets are down because they're selling because they want to protect themselves, right? Because the more you know, Bitcoin goes down, um, you know, their mining profitability drops, or they could actually you know operate at a loss. But if you look at here, it's just holding. And slowly, slowly trending higher. And the outflows, you know, are very low. So that 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 trend overall this year is still very bullish. And this suggests that they're just accumulating as much Bitcoin as they can because they expect prices to be higher later this year or next year. So that is a really bullish signal because the miners they hold just under 1.85 million Bitcoin. That's you know about 9% give or, give or take. Of the total supply of Bitcoin right now, that's huge, and the fact that they're just holding this and not really selling it is is, is you know that says a lot. Like the past two weeks, they kind of sold 3,000 Bitcoin, right? And you're going to see a headline saying, "Oh, they're they're dumping, they're dumping," but keep in mind that's 3,000 Bitcoin out of 1.85 million. It's nothing, and <clears throat> from what I'm hearing, just from contacts in the space, um, if miners are selling, they're selling because they're trying to cover the cost of you know of transitioning out of China into other parts of the world. So there's transport costs and also, you know, miners are aggressively, you know, trying to add to their hash power. So this is, you can see this as just selling to make further investment into mining. It's not really to exit. So I think the overall data from the mining, the miner perspective is very, very bullish. So we can expect, you know, the hash rate to keep skyrocketing later this year and especially next year, when you look at the amount of investment, especially with Marathon buying, you know, over hundred million dollars worth of miners.
0: Well, while you touched on Marathon there, um, was it recently, I'm not sure if this headline's correct, but was it Marathon and Hut8 who came out and said they're actually going to huddle Bitcoin for their balance sheet moving forward into the future?
1: I think that's, that's quite um, prevalent across a lot of the larger miners in general. Um, and, and we can see that on-chain. Um, and yes, like they, they're hodling, um because we're not seeing anything, any major selling activity on-chain. Um, I believe uh, Marathon is, I believe they're lending out parts of their Bitcoin to earn interest and they're doing things, you know, with their Bitcoin, they're not just huddling. So, cause they want to earn a yield off through, right. But the fact that they're talking about these things, it shows that they have no intention of selling at current prices. And like these miners, they have secured very low energy costs. They have, a, you know, a lots of hash power. Um, you know, they're mining Bitcoin very profitably. So they don't really have an incentive to sell, right? Even though they they can make a lot of money off of this. Um, so the fact that they're holding and waiting for higher prices, like that's that's just adds to the supply shock. And you know, um, and that that's a really bullish signal in my opinion. So, no, I, let me I check def- out other charts.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, I definitely agree though. That I I didn't realize the miners held so much Bitcoin. Was it 1.85 million uh, Bitcoins? Like was it nine percent of the supply? You said.
1: Yes, almost two million Bitcoin right now. That's a lot.
0: That and is they're a
1: not, you know, they're huddling.
0: So <laughs> that's exactly what you want to say. That that's extremely bullish. Um and just exactly. adds just adds to the narrative change i mean in 2017 the whole narrative surrounding bitcoin was uh, i'm just going to buy it and sell it to go buy a lambo the narrative wasn't correct nobody was talking about this being a treasury uh reserve asset or it being the gold 2.0 and something as michael saylor says you don't sell for 100 years we didn't have any of those narratives back in 2017 so it's really interesting to watch all these narratives developed but not just the narratives the on-chain fundamentals are backing up the narratives i think this is the most illiquid supply uh, that there's ever been on the Bitcoin network. I can't remember the exact figure, but I remember it was up above 85% of the Bitcoin supply is currently illiquid. Like there's only four, four and a half million coins on exchange for sale. So very interesting.
1: Exactly. And I, yeah, I, that, this is another thing to mention. So we're having all these bullish huddle trends, and all the, the big holders, and older holders, and large miners, they don't want to sell. Um, and on top of that, we have Uh, the exchange balances at multi-year lows. So we currently at this moment, around 88% of the total supply of Bitcoin is off exchanges. So we're talking about an asset that is extremely disruptive and and powerful that only has roughly 12% liquid supply available. So if you just kind of do the math, you know, if like, because not... All those, you know, four million or so Bitcoin exchanges are meant to be sold right now. So if a big company just comes in and they want to buy, like you know, 50,000 Bitcoin, like they if they do that all at once, you know, it's 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 going to cause a huge, you know, uh, flash pump. It's just not there's not enough supply to meet it. So that's why it, it takes a lot of time for these big companies that are coming in to buy to buy Bitcoin. So the fact that we've had two three months between 30K and 40K um, and now kind of like a nice run up and now, you know, midterm consolidation, that's just really good to see. Um, and that gives the, couple, the larger companies entities more time to accumulate. Um, and we're seeing that because Bitcoin is being scooped up for cheap and just taken out the exchanges. And now we're seeing these multi-year lows. So, you know, that's just really incredible to see. Now here's a really cool metric. It's, it's called the mean coin age and, think of it as like a, a way to kind of track the trend of long-term holders. And it really looks at whether they're in reaccumulation or distribution, right? So it's just like factoring in all the, the UTXOs um, and kind of the cohorts are kind of putting together a mean age, um, you know, on the Bitcoin entities. So, in aggregate. So, um, and that's shown in the blue line. Um, the green and the and the orange line are, are just moving averages to kind of track the trend, right? So. This is pretty interesting. So during the, um, the run-up earlier this year, right? Kind of the first half of the bull market, we saw price appreciate, um, but we also saw the mean coin average drop. And that just shows that the, the you know, some of the long-term holders were distributing, you know, onto retail, which is completely expected during a, a large run-up because, you know, when price runs up three, four, five, six X, um, you know, institutions take profit, and we saw that, right? So we kind of went into distribution, um, and then, of course, you know, in May when all the leverage got, you know, flushed out, and all the fun, you know, and the tweets really Elon happened, we had, you know, a huge pullback, and um, that re- that led into consolidation. But if you look at the blue line again, right, it's, it started trending higher, which indicates that the long-term holders and the older entities are starting to reaccumulate, and they're not selling. When they're selling it causes the blue line to fall. When they're accumulating, it causes the blue line to rise. That's just simply how it works. And I was just playing around with technicals. I'm like, oh, why, why don't I put a 50-day moving average, you know, to see the trend and also a 20-day uh, moving average. And guess what? We had kind of a bullish cross and now it's an uptrend. And there were three dips in the MCA and they all found support at the 50-day and bounced up. So this just firmly shows that they're in accumulation and they're, not in, and they're not distributing yet. They will eventually when the price, especially you know, breaks all-time highs in my opinion, which will probably happen in October, November. Um, and we can kind of, you know, go back in time and look at the behavior, right? And how this uh, metric performed, you know, during, I guess, uh, previous bull markets, I'm sorry. Um, so, you know, here's like the, the 2017 bull market, right? So we had nice, you know, power block move to the upside and you can see you know, the MCA was declining. So they were distributing this entire time. Um, But during the bear market, right, as price, you know, dropped 70, 80%, you can see the MCA starting to increase again. So they distribute during bull markets, during rapid price appreciation, and they reaccumulate during bear markets because that's the best time to buy, right? And it just kept rising and rising and rising throughout the consolidation, Cisco 3K and just kept going up and then same thing with uh the 2013 and you know the the double pump cycle um i think the the current cycle is actually more similar to 2013 based on kind of the structure so uh just give a second
0: i love how you have the uh you have the areas marked on that bottom chart you've got them labeled distribution reaccumulation it's very clear to see um the kind of how that uh specific metric reacts in a bull market and a bear market it's, it's very clear it's as clear as that you can notice the difference
1: yep exactly so here's the 2013 uh cycle so we had that first big parabolic run-up rate and you know if you look closely you can see they were distributing as it dropped um but we had a very very large drop in 2013 um, and you know the long-term holders immediately went into accumulation as you can see by the increase in the blue line um, and you know, kind of spent the year consolidating. But but eventually, in the second half of the you know the 13 cycle, you know, price went up like crazy. And you can see the whales, the older holders distributed, you know, and causing the the blue line to decrease. So, so in my opinion, I think Bitcoin is probably somewhere you know right here, you know, kind of like in the October timeframe, September timeframe of 2013. So I think you know the next quarter, Q4, maybe Q1 2022. You know, we should see something like this, like a huge run up and then eventually parabolic move to the upside. Um, so, you know, I just want to make it clear just because they start distributing doesn't mean that it's over. It just means that it really means that price is starting to rapidly appreciate and they're incentivized to start taking profit and distribute. So um, the the kind of the warning signal, right, for traders or whatever is when price starts going really parabolic and that's when risk will increase. Um, so. But overall, you know, it's just very similar to twenty thirteen. So I think um, I'll be watching this very closely, and I'm just kind of waiting to see when they're going to start distributing. Uh, you know, when the price appreciates. So right now, they're 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 just holding and accumulating. So um, the fact that bears they say this is a bull trap, well, the data clearly contradicts that. Let me show you another know, chart. Um,
0: I couldn't agree more. Uh, the on chain data definitely. Uh, doesn't back up a bearish thesis. I mean, even, I think we were talking about this before we started recording, uh, from that crash that occurred on the El Salvador, um, the very day that El Salvador made Bitcoin legal tender, Bitcoin dropped from what, 52K to like 42K, something like that, 15 or 20% dip overnight. And the the, yep. the whales bought that dip, didn't they? We saw an uptick in whales on the, on the day it crashed, so.
1: Exactly, like that, that liquidation of that, it was just four billion dollars in uh in leverage flushed out completely, and it happened practically all at once, um, and that led to kind of retail traders panicking. So we saw a lot of on-chain selling in the three to six month cohort, um, but that dip, you know, it didn't really affect the older holders. They like they just remain calm. It just it just kept flatlining or moving higher. So and also we saw a big pickup in the older wallets, you know or so the larger wallets, you know, adding Bitcoin. So it was obvious that the dip was being bought. And also it was just so attractive in, in terms of price. I mean, it it, it tapped, you know, uh, rising trend line. It, it hit multiple key technical levels. So that was like a perfect kind of textbook, you know, play to buy the dip. Um, but here is the the sober. So it just measures the, the profitability of the market overall. So it has an adjusted basis, um, you know, SOPR that tracks long-term holders. In the middle, and also one that tracks the short-term holders. So, this is really cool to see because right now, uh, any value over one indicates, um, you know, the market's in a state of profit. So, the yellow line kind of shows, okay, what's happening overall, and we're you know we're just above it. So, when the price dipped last week, you know, kind of during the Salvador kind of crash, or the week before that, um, it was kind of harboring like just under one or at one. So that was indicating that, like, you know, the mid 40s is a very key kind of break even point uh, for the market as a whole. Um, and what's really interesting, right, is that if you look at the green box in the middle, so here's the 30 to 40k consolidation for Bitcoin. That entire time, the SILPR for long term holders was above one. So they were in profit this entire time. So it didn't really affect, you know, long term holders. Right. And if you look below that, the red box um, is spent the short-term holders were underwater at a loss the entire time and panic selling at the lows. So that, you know, it just really shows that like long-term holders, you know, they're the ones that bought earlier for much lower prices. And even the 50% crash, they're, they're still fine. It didn't affect them. And uh, I actually I just want to quote uh, uh, a fellow uh, friend of mine. Uh, his name is Galicor Cordero, um, also a critical analyst. So he actually kind of looked at the data and showed you know, what would happen during uh, bear markets and bull markets. So in summary, uh, during bear markets, the long-term holders uh, SOFR is below one. So if the long-term holders are at a loss, that kind of adds more slant pressure, right? And of course, you know, short-term holders are also at a loss. Um, But the fact that during this correction, the long-term holders remain strongly in profit, that's another point that shows that this is not a bear market. So... You know, this is i mean there's just so many data points that show that this is not a bear market um of course it's still possible right all it takes is just you know to have all these long term holders and miners start dumping all at once or maybe a black swan event it's possible but it doesn't seem likely because the overall trend is still very bullish so that's why you know i keep making bullish calls and saying like all the all these near-term dips are just opportunities to add um, i don't see any reason to sell you know, unless you're like desperate for cash, but you know, I think we're all in this for long-term. So, it, you know, any dips in my opinion should be bought up. So yeah, this, this chart is, is very, really interesting in my opinion. Um, and kind of quickly cover one more chart, just the open interest and the funding rates. So this is pretty important to cover because um, it kind of shows you, I guess, how healthy the market is in terms of structure, right? So let me, let me bring it up to a daily chart. So here's like the, the kind of run up earlier this year, right? So the open interest was just soaring, you know, pushing higher and higher and higher. And that's shown in the kind of the light blue color. Um, and below is the funding rate. So the problem here was that, you know, there was excessive leverage um, in derivatives and also really, really high funding. So when the funding is really high, that means the longs have to pay the short, uh, pay the, uh, the shorts. Um, so it's not... You know, when when you have like funding rates really high, um, you know, for extended periods of time with increasing open interest, it just shows that the market is kind of excessively long, you know, to the upside. Um, And that makes the market um, or increases risk in the market. So all it really takes is just kind of like, you know, a 5% drop. And then that could trigger tons of of liquidations and forced selling. And then that's pretty much what we saw. So kind of like the China, you know, mining FUD, um, Elon tweets and all this you know, just a whole barrage of of flood coming on the market, that that was enough to liquidate, you know, tons of leverage. So we saw just, you know, it was a peak of around 15 billion open interest and it dropped all the way down to 5 billion in in a a month. So that was a huge wipeout. Um, And if you look at now, right, we kind of had something similar, but not not as uh, aggressive. So open interest was... Was increasing leading up to that 50k, 52k kind of top, um, and then it kind of the El Salvador thing happened. We had a huge wipeout. So, but what we notice here is the funding went back to neutral, or it's slightly negative, negative. Um, and it's really good to see kind of le- leverage flushed out because it kind of it cleans out the system and it kind of resets everything for another push up. So, it kind of flatlined, you know, for about a week or two, and then now it's kind of you know slowly pushing back up with the price. So that's that's good to see. It's also really good to see that funding rate is actually kind of neutral negative. So it really shows that, you know, there's potentially shorts being skeptical and shorting the rally. Um, And there's not that many, you know, longs um, being built up, you know, in terms of trend. So um, something good to see. So we we can expect, you know, um, as price appreciates later this year, we can definitely expect open interest to keep rising as, you know, people build positions on derivatives um, and also for the funding rate to increase. So, the only issue is when we see kind of like a rapid increase in open interest and funding starting to be excessively positive for you know multiple weeks or months that's when you know risk will probably start increasing in the market so right now there's nothing really you know to be concerned about so yeah that's kind of um just a quick basic overview of the dashboard it's kind of too much to share but all right let's let's talk macro
0: yeah let's do it no thanks for sharing dude that was um that was that was amazing um i might uh, share my screen and maybe we can have a look at a little bit of macro for the um for the people who were uh who who don't understand what we're talking about when we first started talking about macro risk off and that kind of thing um so the host is disabled so that means
1: yep i'll make you host give me a second
0: sweet yeah so i just think it was worth mentioning as well that that um that dip that we saw from 65k to 29k a lot of people and a lot of bears in particular they're saying um hey look in a bitcoin bull market we've never seen a uh 55 correction in a bull market so technically we're in a bear market and that's why a lot of these bears are coming out saying they're bearish but what they're, what they're forgetting is that was a black swan event, okay? We've never seen uh, a, a nation state in the form of China ban mining on the Bitcoin network. And we, what was it? 50 to 60% of the hash power uh, resides in China. So 60% of the miners yep. had to sell Bitcoin to come up uh, for kind of expense costs and that kind of thing to, to move. So I think, and the bears are kind of ignoring all the really bullish on-chain stuff at the moment. Um, so I just think it's definitely worth pointing out um, the bears that are just looking at technical analysis. They're saying, "Hey, look, um, Bitcoin's never done this before. We must be in a bear market." Uh, but they're ignoring all of the really good uh, on-chain stuff that you shared. Um, so it was really amazing. Thanks for walking us through all the on-chain. I'll yeah, definitely be um, doing a little bit of reverse, and I'll go and watch this one again. I reckon, but. Um, to go and learn a little bit more myself. but So having a look at uh, the stock markets, we have the S&P 500 pulled up here at the moment. So you can see um, the massive uh, bounce that we had. This is your COVID crash earlier this year. Uh, The Fed comes in and says, hey, look, we'll buy everything, Uh, QE infinity. And you can see the massive rally we've had. Now, a lot of people are kind of looking at this rising wedge formation and typically a rising wedge breaks the, the downside. It's a bearish pattern. So when we're talking about stocks are going risk off, this is what we're talking about. Stocks have only sold off a little bit at the moment, only 2 to 3%. But if stocks have like, I don't know, a 5 or maybe a 10% pullback, to this kind of support range for here, that could bring Bitcoin down in the short term, and I think it was stocks going a little bit risk off was what contributed to Bitcoin uh, crashing on that El Salvador um, day when it crashed as well. So another another thing that you see flash red um, when we enter a risk off environment and stocks crash is you typically see the dollar index rally, um, so people run to cash. And this is, a, uh, this is a bullish chart pattern. So this is an inverse headed shoulder pattern. You can see that it has the left shoulder, the head, and the right shoulder. And then this is your neckline for here. Very rough neckline, but you can see the Dixie kind of looks as if it wants to break out and go for a rally while stocks look a little bit bearish. Um, and then another little thing that I keep my eye on when I'm Looking at macro is uh, treasury bonds. So bonds is similar to the dollar. They get bought up um, when stocks are selling off. So the bonds are considered a somewhat kind of safe haven. So you can see again, looking maybe a little bit bullish. Uh, So this is, I think the 10 year yields. Um, So I'm not really sure where that kind of wants to go. Maybe it wants to go lower. So that would indicate bonds, are being bought and people are selling stocks. Um, so this is kind of like a bit of a bear pole kind of thing. So just, they're just a few things that signal we could be in a little bit of a risk off environment for stocks, but obviously this is all speculation and very short term based, um, and all the on-chain data kind of backs up the fact that whales would probably be ready to buy the dip if Bitcoin is correlated to the stocks in the very short term. Um, but, yeah, that's just a couple of the things um, I'm watching there with the uh, macro environment. I'm trying yeah. to think. Fi- you go, sorry. No, yeah, so I think we've talked price. We've covered the on-chain. Um, I reckon that's probably – I've had you here for probably over an hour now, mate. Probably good. be a good place to wrap up. Um, is there any kind of final thoughts um, that you've got or any final comments um, for the viewers or the listeners?
1: Oh, I, if that was one hour. That was, that was so quick. I, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Time flies when you uh, have I fun. To, I was trying to keep it quick and concise, but you know, I, I guess I went uh, a little too much. But uh, yeah, just quick comments. Uh, I, I want to make it clear that you know, I remain long-term bullish, even though if there really is a bear market, okay that's just more opportunity to, to buy cheap um but i don't think that that will be the case um because at the moment um you know the the overall trend and fundamentals on chain remain very bullish so until that changes and we see a trend of selling then you know then that then i will have to uh, reconsider my thesis so but you know i i just want to make it clear right that uh i acknowledge the analysis of the bears um but i don't think they're looking at the big picture meaning they can creatively, you know, look at and draw out all these technical fractals, right? But most of them occurred, you know, during bear markets. Like for example, in 2018, that's where they draw a lot of, you know, fractals. Um, and that, you know, and 2018 had, you know, bull traps. So, and that was post, you know, you know parabolic moves to the upside. And um, there were just a lot of, you know, whale selling and whale exit liquidity happening. And you can see that on chain. So like they might be able to draw all these fractals and make it look you know, very accurate to what it looks like now in terms of charts. But what they're failing to do is they're not acknowledging what's what happened on-chain. So because on-chain during the bull traps was very bearish. You saw massive exit liquidity, miners are dumping, large holders are all dumping. But now that the charts might look the same because they, they can make it look the same, but the on-chain is the complete opposite it's just firmly bullish and it's really hard to kind of believe that narrative so i i don't think they're you know seeing the big picture um so for for the bear thesis to be validated we need to see the long-term holders and the whales and older coins just start dumping and turn that into a trend of selling that's not happening right now so and I do acknowledge there is near-term risk, right? And I mentioned this for months saying that September, October is was when volatility returns to the market. So yes, there is definitely a correlation between Bitcoin and stocks and risk assets, and of course monetary policy. But I wanna make it very clear that right now, you know, rates are still at zero. Um, it's really hard for the Fed to even start tapering, even though they want to, because the economic data is kind of like very mixed, right? Um, and the, the Fed even acknowledged, they said that even after they complete tapering, which is, I think is nonsense, the rates will be lower for longer because they're just going to keep redefining economic terms for inflation and whatever. And they're going to keep picking the can down the road and keep printing money. Because uh, we saw that last time they raised rates, the market had a nasty reaction and they're like, and they had to walk it back. Okay, sorry, we're going to cut rates again and, and do more QE. Sorry. You know, um, And on top of that, the Fed balance sheet is at all time highs, long term, risk assets tend to be correlated to the movements of the Fed balance sheet. So, um, and right now it's just making all-time highs every single week. You know, every, every month the Fed is buying $120 billion of debt and there's trillions of dollars sloshing around the system looking for a store of value. So where's that money going to go? It's going to go in equities. It's going to go in real estate. It's going to go into risk assets. You know, it's going it's to go into Bitcoin. So, so the macro environment might be risky near term But it's still overall very favorable for risk assets because rates are lower, you know, for longer and the Fed balance sheet keeps making record highs. So what I learned is don't fight the Fed. I did that years ago and I got burned. So, you know, I do think the stock market is in a crazy bubble. It's the biggest bubble in history. And you know, fundamental valuation metrics are just completely ignored at this point. But the thing is, it's because you know it's there's a flight to kind of risk assets because. Paper money is losing value, people need to put it into something, right, to hedge against that currency devaluation. So, this is nothing fundamental about, oh, I love the economy, it's doing good. I'm going to buy stocks. No, it's because people are like, I need yield. I need to protect myself. I need to protect my purchasing power. So, you know, stocks, real estate, yes, that's where money's going. But I think long term, Bitcoin is the best way to protect that purchasing power because it cannot be debased, you know, it cannot be manipulated by central banks. You know, it's, it's programmed, you know, monetary policy. And that makes it, for me, much more desirable than stocks, which have tons of counterparty risk and uncertainty, um, and real estate, which has its own risks. They're both great asset classes, but I think Bitcoin is going, is going to outperform, you know, uh, by, by huge margin this decade and beyond. And yes, that's the S&P divided by the money supply and it yeah, really shows yeah. everyone is bragging about all their gains and stocks but if you think about it we went nowhere yeah when when
0: i when i handed it over to you before i was like oh any final comments daniel i, I felt like i was forgetting something we didn't really talk about macro because we talked about it so much uh, off air but everything you just said yeah. then is 100% true the fed can't raise rates We're living in the biggest Ponzi scheme of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a $350 trillion debt bomb with a global debt to GDP over 350%. There is no way the fed can raise rates that over 30 is it 30% of the companies in the S and P 500 right now are considered zombie corporations. They can't even pay the interest repayments on their debt. Okay. There's no way the fed is going to raise interest rates. They can't. I think it's all a hundred percent agree. I think it's all theater. Uh, that with Jerome Power walking the walking the rope and saying, oh, we might taper, we might not taper because um, we might have a look at what happened in 2019 in the taper tantrum event um, with the S&P 500. Jerome Power, we'll take a look at that in a second. First, we'll have a look at the S&P 500 divided by the M2 so this is the money supply ladies and gentlemen. A lot of people say, hey, look, my stocks are up 800% over the past decade. I'm doing great. There's no inflation here. I'm doing great. I've got a great inflation hedge, sorry. But when you actually divide it by the money supply, the M2, you can see stocks are down 30% since the 2000 year peak. So you've been sitting in the S&P 500 and an index fund since the year 2000. Many people say, hey, look, I'm up a 1000%. I'm up 10X. But no, you're not. You've just been completely diluted and devalued by the increasing money supply. So that's a chart I always like to show people. Stocks down 35% when you actually account for the, M, the M2. the And when you look at Bitcoin divide by M2, this is something else that's really interesting and a lot of people aren't talking about in regards to this bull market. We All of these stock-to-flow models and all of these Bitcoin bull market four-year halving cycle predictions, they're based upon like 2019 and 2018 data when the money supply was relatively stable. But since 2020, the Fed's increased the money supply by, what, 30%, 25%? And when you actually have a look at the Bitcoin divided by M2, we've only really just gone past our 2017 peak. Bitcoin's only up 133% since the 2017 peak. That's not really much of a bull market, ladies and gentlemen. You can see we've kind of come back, retested it, and we haven't really gone that far. So that's something else a lot of people don't take into account. And maybe we can have a look at the taper tantrum that you were talking about earlier, because this is an example of what happens when a central banker tries to normalize rates. Was it in 20... This is 2019 here. 2018. Was this the tapered tantrum? Yeah, so the Fed comes out and it says, hey, look, all of that quantitative easing we did in 2008, QE2, three, and four that we did through 2008 and 2018, that was all temporary. There's nothing wrong with the financial system. We can pay back the debt that we've got on our balance sheet, trust us. This is still capitalism, okay? So I think Jerome (laughs) Bauer came out in, what was it, 2018 or 2019? He said, we're gonna try and normalize the balance sheet. We're gonna try and sell. And look what happened to the stock market. Stocks sold off 20% in like two to three weeks after old mate Jerome Powell made that announcement, and he had to quickly reverse course and say, "Oh, you know what? Maybe we'll continue this quantitative easing kind of forever, uh, forever QE monetary policy." Because guess what? The money that you're holding in the banks are Ponzi. The money that you're holding in the bank is an absolute fiasco, and it's backed by nothing. Um, so I just. I think that's an interesting point to point out. They can't normalize it because stocks are going to sell off. And when stocks sell off, the Fed has to step in. We saw what happened in uh, March of 2020. Stocks sold off, like, what was it? 30, 35% in only four weeks in the fastest and biggest crash. Not the biggest, but the fastest crash in history. So this was actually faster than the 1929 stock market crash. The Fed had to step in yep. and announce quantitative quantitative easing forever down here at the lows to stop the stock market from crashing. So I think that's what Daniel and I both expect. If stocks pull back 5, 10, 15%, guess what old mate Uncle Sam's going to do? He's going to have to step in and just keep printing dollars into oblivion because you can't taper a Ponzi. That should be the summary of that long rant. You can't taper a Ponzi. Um, but I, I think we both kind of agree on the macro kind of landscape. Um,
1: Yep. I agree. And I mean, it it just, it really kind of for our generation, right. It just makes life more difficult because our jobs, you know, can barely pay for a home or even kind of just get by, right. just from living expenses. Um, But year to year, I mean, we saw real estate appreciate 20, 30%. The price of used cars soared, right. Um, You know, the price of groceries went up significantly. Um, and they all increased at a faster rate than your paycheck grew. I think most people's paychecks just kind of went flat. So, you know, it just, if this keeps up, it will just take you even longer to save up to buy that house because every year the price keeps going up and up and up. So it just, it makes it even harder to attain. So um, I think that's just encouraging reckless activity to kind of invest in stocks and to kind of speculate on risk assets, right? To kind of you know, help people, I guess, build wealth. But the thing is, I have to emphasize that like trading and doing all these things, that's not how you build wealth. That's how you actually lose money because most people that trade end up losing money. And so like, I, I mean, I got, a pound, I got a pound table on this. Wealth is built when you invest in a quality asset at attractive prices, especially during downtrends or pullbacks, right? And you hold for a very, very, very long time. Um, and I think the best time to do that is when the asset is misunderstood. So one thing I didn't talk about was like, you know, being a long-term investor in Apple and Tesla. So I bought them many, many years ago when they were misunderstood, right? But during those times, the, the fundamentals of those companies were, were very good. Like it, they had massive growth, you know, uh, trajectories, uh, lots of products in the pipeline, right? The business kept growing but the stock price kept falling. So there's a huge disconnect between fundamentals and price. And of course, when price was falling, I was building positions at key technical support because it was very attractive and it was oversold, testing very, you know, multiple key levels. So that's when I bought those, those positions and I held long-term and I was rewarded, you know, a lot for it. Like the Tesla position has been doing very well um, over the years. And um, so the, peop- the you know, people that I think that they can trade Bitcoin and, and get rich with leverage is just, I think it's a fantasy um and that's why most people you know when they trade bitcoin over the years they most of them end up with less bitcoin than they started and that's not a good thing because i think we're looking you know too many people are looking at the dollar value of their bitcoin which i think is kind of irrelevant for me like what i value more right now is how much bitcoin i have um because i think you know if if this money printing keeps up it's just going to keep you know, devaluing and debasing the dollar. Um, So it's just the dollar is becoming less relevant over time, in my opinion. Um, And I do think eventually, you know, it will get to a point where it it actually matters how much Bitcoin you have, because that's where you're going to be, you know, using or spending. So um, so after I kind of, you know, broke that trend of me focusing on on only dollar value, it makes me want even more Bitcoin now because I'm measuring my holdings in Bitcoin, you know, not, not dollars. So, and I can proudly say that you know, the, the 50% crash from a few months ago and also the recent liquidation wipeout, I made some big buys in Bitcoin at 30K and also, in, you know, 44, 45K recently because um, I still have positions in stocks. Um, so I sold my Apple stock near all-time highs at 157. And I used the funds, you know, to buy Bitcoin between 43 and 45K. Um, so it's just like I, when you see those opportunities where you have an out, uh, an opportunity to sell an asset that is so richly valued. And at the same time you can rotate into an asset that's so undervalued or so misunderstood that to me is like, is like the best rotational trade you can ever do. Um, so I've not sold a single sat that I bought 30 K I'm holding that, you know, as long as I can, adding parts of it to my whole position. And then I will swing kind of the, the rest of the cycle, but that hold position, I'm not selling it. That's for my kids that's locked away in cold storage. So.
0: I love it. Make it
1: clear.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree more, mate. I think I love that you brought up the fact that you want to be making more Bitcoin, whatever you're doing, if you are trading with five or 10% of your stack don't measure it in dollars. Your unit of account should be in Bitcoin if it's going to be the uh, the evolution in money. Whether you think that's going to be in 5, 10, 15, or even 40 years, your aim should be trying to accumulate more of that undervalued, misunderstood asset, as you call it. I really like how you do call it a misunderstood asset because that's what Bitcoin is. If everybody understood Bitcoin, guess what it'd be priced at today? It wouldn't be priced at 45000 a pop. It'd be priced at $10 million. millions. Yeah. Millions, yeah. millions. That's the asymmetric bet that comes into it. People don't get Bitcoin. They still think it's some crazy magic internet money. And that's why it's so underpriced. But you mentioned there, yep. you are talking about the value of the dollar and it's just pushing the price of everything up and the things aren't actually going up in value. It's just the dollars being debased to kind of give you the illusion that things are going up in price. Um, and it just reminded me of yeah. property prices here in Australia. Um, I, I did the article the other day. I was having a look at the property prices in Australia. You can see in 1970, the average, uh, ha- the average house price in Sydney was $19,000. And in Melbourne, it was $13,000. And if you have a look at it only 50 years later, the average house price in Sydney is 1.1 million. And in Melbourne, it's 875,000. And it's just, it's all it is. It's just the dollar being debased. And th- here's some more charts of, Property in Sydney and Melbourne. You can see when you price it in the Australian dollar or the Australian peso, as I call him, you can see it goes up and up and up forever. It's up and to the right, it's vertical. But when you price it in gold, a money that's not been debased, property in Sydney and Melbourne is actually down 50% in both of them since the 2008 housing bubble peak. So I just think it's worth. Um, kind of showing people the illusion, like this is the red pill, understanding how inflation works and how the dollar's been debased to push up the price of things. Um, like here's a little uh, shopping, a little shopping uh, paper, I guess you'd call it from the 1970s in Australia. You can see you could buy a whole chicken for a $1. dollar, a dollar and nine cents you could buy a chicken for. How much does it cost us these days? Eight, nine, 10, 12, 12 pesos sometimes. It's, it's unbelievable and it's just, just a massive um i think a lot of people think this is normal like we suffer from recency bias we think it's normal for the price of things to go up and up and up forever but it's not and once you start debasing the money it always ends um it always ends the same way i think was it voltaire who says um the intrinsic value of paper money is zero and it'll always trend to its marginal cost of production and I think that's what we're living through. I think we're living through a hyperinflation on a global scale in a globally interconnected uh, debt backed Ponzi scheme. And thank God we've got Bitcoin because that's the solution or the exit valve that we've got to transition off this broken monetary system um, onto the new improved and better monetary system being Bitcoin. So
1: exactly. I, I 100% agree. I mean, it's just, we live in a time where it's so important to to search for a quality asset that we can hold for generations, right? Because you know the back then, the, the previous generations, they're like, "Oh, just uh, just work and save, and you'll you'll eventually own a house." That was true maybe like 50 years ago, but <laughs> today, uh, if you do that, you'll be on the streets. <laughs> so yeah. you know, it's. I mean, like the two worst things you can do as an individual right now, especially if you're our age in, in our twenties is the worst things are you can trade and sit on cash. You're guaranteed to lose money <laughs> if you do those two things. So you really have, yeah, you have to find, you know, what I, the asset that can hold value over time, protect purchasing power, you know, and has all the, the qualities of, of money and everything. I mean, it's just, we talk about it every day, but it's, I think it's Bitcoin. I mean, there's nothing else in the world that I see, you know, that can match that. So yes, okay. All coins will probably outperform. Bitcoin, this cycle, okay? That might be true, but how about looking out the rest of the decade? You know, in my opinion, I don't think a lot of these alts, the, the 10,000 plus alts we have are going to be around. I don't think so, okay? There's just not enough eyeballs and money to, to go around and share kind of everything, right? So I really think that, you know, Bitcoin, in my opinion, is the highest quality asset out of all the, you know, crypto assets out there and also in the world, and that it will be around for a very, very long time. So I'm really confident And feel safe holding it you know holding my bitcoin for my family the right way rather than sitting on cash or even you know i don't don't even know about the security of you know my stocks in the brokerage we just don't know you know um so in my opinion uh the most secure you know certain asset out there will be bitcoin there's always risk but long term it's, it's bitcoin
0: I couldn't agree more. And I think we touched on it earlier. The reason Bitcoin's still so underpriced is because it's misunderstood. I think that's, uh, I think a very similar sentiment is true of crypto and cryptocurrencies. I think the reason they're priced so high and the reason that they outperform Bitcoin in the short term is because they're misunderstood. People don't understand that they haven't innovated anything. People don't understand that even the most decentralized crypto in Ethereum is actually very centralized. And it moving to proof of stake is just more proof that it is trending towards more and more centralization. So Um, I I agree as well with the long-term thesis. I think long-term there's not going to be a thousand coins. I I think it will actually only be Bitcoin. I think everything that these other scam coins claim to do, whether it's smart contracts web 3.0 nfts and gaming all of it can be done on bitcoin whether it's a side chain like rsk or whether it's a layer two three like liquid and lightning network that's another thing that crypto guys misunderstand everything these scam came, these scam chains claim to do can be done on bitcoin um, with better security so i think naturally all of that innovation or technology will be done on bitcoin um in the long term but i think that what do you reckon that's a probably good place to end this one mate
1: i think we could go on for another couple of hours but i think we'll have to end Easy. it here <laughs> <So>. <laughs> we could talk yeah. for, we
0: could talk for hours we're on these spaces Oh, for hours and hours and hours on end. Um, so we better not do that to the poor listener. Otherwise we will end up with a five hour YouTube video. So um, yeah. <laughs> I've had an absolute blast in this one. I've learned a bunch. I'll definitely be rewatching this one to go and have a look at all those amazing on-chain analytics. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Daniel. Is there any last words you have for the uh, listener where they can find you, find your work and um, where they can reach out and get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, man, uh, I will, first of all, I had a great time talking to you, Luke. Really appreciate it. I can't wait to be back on the talk. Uh, you guys can follow me at DanielJoe916 on Twitter. Uh, I write for CryptoQuant um, and CryptoPotato. So if you just kind of you know follow me on Twitter, you'll see links to those articles that I post. Um, and yeah, long-term bullish, buy the dips. Don't you know believe that the false narratives that are being pushed out by media, look at the data and look at the trend. And both are bullish. So we'll, we'll leave it there.
0: I love it. Thank you so much for coming on and see you guys. Have a good day. We well, should make this like All a uh, a monthly or a weekly catch up or something too. If the, uh, if, the, if the people demand it.
1: I know, seriously. I mean, I I have like weekly calls with just investors and other things. And that feels like a year in between because so much happens, you know, in just seven days in a week, you know, whether it's news flow or just things happening in the charts or on chain or any developments. I mean, it's, it's like, you know so we, we should definitely you know like talk as much as we can because so much happens and i think i think this quarter like q4 and maybe early next year is just gonna be wild
0: okay guys i really hope you enjoyed that one uh i'm feeling pretty damn bullish after speaking to daniel and i've uh, learned a bunch by looking at all those on-chain fundamentals and analytics so like we mentioned at the end you guys let me know in the comments if you want me to make this like a fortnightly or a monthly. Uh, update on bitcoin where we take a quick look at the charts where we talk a little bit of macro and we take a look at the on-chain fundamentals i'm going to continue uh, doing long-form podcasting as well where I'm going to try and interview more and more of the other names in the Bitcoin space where we talk about the revolutionary aspect um, of Bitcoin and talk about the fundamentals of sound money and how important it will be in the separation of money and state. But let me know if you want me to also do some uh, price-related updates or macro updates once a month or once a fortnight. I'll, I'll basically do whatever you guys uh, want to see so um, if you liked this video be sure to like it be sure to uh, share it And uh, if you if you want feel free to subscribe to the channels you get updates whenever I put out new videos like this One so uh, have a good day guys, and I'll see you in the next one
1: Or oh my god I didn't even talk about a couple of things. Um, like the potential ETF, right? Oh, yeah, um, the huge on-chain activity from 30 to 40k so the trend the mean tr- transfer volume was like three four times what it was last year and it's easily in the five six figures so that means that these are big institutions buying because retail can't can't do an average volume of like six figures you know yeah or or even five figures it's hard but the fact that this was happening consistently throughout the 30 40k range it really shows that there were big buyers coming in so in my opinion right just like mike alford and other guys have talked about um we believe that these are likely public companies are very big institutions that came in and bought the dip and they're just keeping quiet about it. But remember, three, four months later, when earnings come out, they have to disclose their, their positions. So I think in the next couple of weeks, maybe October, November, we're going to see, you know, like public filings showing that, hey, you know, uh, we, we, we bought Bitcoin. <laughs> so, and I, and I think that will be a catalyst that drives the next leg up in the bull market and throw in a, a potential ETF approval, which I'm not hoping for it, like begging for it, but hey, if it comes out, that's a huge, huge bonus. Um, and then factor in supply shock, you know, multiple orders are not selling right now. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's like a huge storm brewing, ready for a breakout, in my opinion.
0: I, so. couldn't, ag- I couldn't agree more, mate. I, I'm uberly bullish. Yeah. Um, uh, I think we might have to get you back for a part two, maybe in a fortnight or a month because things change so quickly. Um, and maybe when we get you back, uh, there, there will be some pretty big announcements, uh, coming out. So, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I hope you enjoyed that one guys. Uh, have a good day. All
1: right, man. Take care.